Happy New Year and welcome this morning, the first service for 2020. Uh, we do have different ways of saying it, whether it be 2020 or 2020. I'm a 2020 person and uh, welcome here this morning. It's been a probably a bit of a heavy morning um, with the things that are going on around us in the world and uh, we need to be reflective and we need to be caring and uh, there was a thing on my Facebook post yesterday that um, said Planet Shakers Church around the world are actually praying for the bushfires at the moment so that we're in good company and we can be praying as we can and as much as we can and praying for rain and other things as well. But our God is a God who knows of everything that's going on. Our God is in control even though we may not see that we see things that are out of control. So before we go any further this morning, we'll just have a word of prayer and we'll have our Bible reading and we'll, um, we'll have a look what we're going to see this morning. So Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for this time we're able to be together. We just pray for any that may be away this morning. You'll just bless their time away. And Father, just open your word this morning. Your spirit has free reign to do what he will. Father, that the words will be anointed and that they may go and they may um, not return void as you've said, and they might be my words but yours. Father, we commit the rest of this service to you in Jesus' precious and loving name. Amen. So we're still tracking through Corinthians. We're in the 15th chapter, so if you know Corinthians, we've only got one more to go. So this is the last half of Corinthians 15, starting at verse 35, and we're going right through to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> And this is a good one. We've seen that the um, Corinthians have had uh, some issues over the past and uh, this whole letter is continuing and there's still issues that there's some of them are bringing up today. So uh, we'll look at some of those issues and we'll see how that all ends up. But uh, at the end, we'll have a look at something and there's a challenge to us as a church as well this morning because um, it's all good for us but it's not all good for everyone. So we'll go through the passage. So verse 35, the resurrection body, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What do you say does not come to life unless it dies? When you say you do not plant the body, that will be, but just a seed perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from the uh, from star in splendour. Isn't creation a wonderful thing? So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, a last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. 
The first man was of dust of the earth, the second man was from heaven, as was the early, earthly man. So are those who are of earth, and as is the man from heaven. So are also those who are from heaven, are of heaven. Now just as we are born the likeness of earthly man, so we shall, we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you the mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, and then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. So the last time I spoke, we did uh, the first part of the chapter and uh, just do a little bit of a recap on that. It was a month ago now. So some in the Corinthian church did not believe that they were able to be physically resurrected. They could believe that uh, Jesus was resurrected and in verse 2 of the chapter we see that the gospel that they actually believed and accepted, that was part of it. But when it came together to them, it was impossible this came from a Greek tradition that believed that a body could no longer be put back together but a spirit that was resurrected. There's a name for that, but I'm not going into it. Paul put forward this argument that if Jesus had not been resurrected, well, they were not even saved. Without the resurrection, the gospel was incomplete and the gospel they were believing had all the components of Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. We saw that the gospel was the main message of the passage and the gospel was enough. And through the gospel, we are saved through Jesus' death and resurrection. We have hope and we have a message for others to share that brings hope and a gospel that we can have a relationship with God and each other. So we've had the reading. Now, Paul continues here addressing uh, those in the church who are denying the resurrection, continues argument in verse 35. He asks the question, how are the, re- how are the dead raised? With what sort of body shall they come? He's still addressing um, issues raised earlier in the passage. Those in the church are spreading misinformation that, uh, on based on Greek conditions that we spoke about earlier. For the next part of the passage, Paul puts forward the argument to refute their claims. If we look back to verses 20 and 23, we see that Jesus was the first fruits of being raised from the dead. And we found that Jesus was the first of many to come who was raised from the dead and with an imperishable body and everybody would be the same. So Jesus was that first fruit with the imperishable body. So that will be fleshed out a little bit. Well, not fleshed out, no, that's a a pun, but uh, that will be brought out a little bit later if we look into the passage. Paul begins his argument in verse 36 by an illustration of a seed going into the ground. Now, my wife's a great gardener, but I'm not. But anyone who has done gardening knows the principle of a seed going in the ground and any farmer would know that's grown wheat. You put the seed in the ground 
And that seed has to die before it can grow any more. And once the seed dies, then the plant comes up. And in the case of wheat, we have many, many, many heads come off that. He goes on to explain that new grain is its own new body and so forth. That one grain that went into the ground has gone. But the new grain that comes up is its own separate body. Each grain then becomes its own separate body, so on and so forth. Just as Jesus was the first fruit, this example reiterates the principle of one becoming many. This example gives another reiteration of Jesus' atoning death, of one man died to save many. And his fruit continues to grow through his death. And once again, the gospel is being referred to in Jesus' death as a seed, his burial and resurrection through the, through the new fruit in its new body. So Paul continues to reinforce the same message in different ways of the gospel through this passage. For the next few verses, we see the comparison between the flesh of animals and the flesh of humans. So even in the animal kingdom, each animal is uniquely made for its own purpose and for our own species. A dog is a dog, a cat is a cat, a lizard is a lizard, and even though they've messed around with DNA and all sorts of different things of geek and all sorts of things, but God made them in the beginning to be all different, unique to their own species. There are cold-blooded animals, warm-blooded, and their flesh is reproduced within that species. The same with man and mammals, even though they try and tell us that we come from the same species, we're very similar in some ways, in many ways, but we are produced differently in that species. Even though there's a lot of similarities, we are unique in our composition. God has a purpose to make each in his own to differentiate. And we know as humans that God has made us to be in his image. We are the animals. We are not the animals. We are the one to be above the animals. And God made us for a special purpose. So Paul is reiterating through these different things the purposes of when the body dies and when the body's going to be. He finishes off this part in verses 40 and 41, comparing earthly and heavenly bodies, the difference between the stars, the moon and the sun. The moon will be nothing without the sun, the stars, each one in their different ones. And as we continue to look at the universe and see how far that's gone, each star is different and the universe has been made perfectly with God's hand upon it. So using creation and using these different things, Paul's using these different uh, examples of the body and how they work. As we already talked about, Jesus was resurrected in a body that was not perishable but imperishable. Paul goes on here to explain this further to Corinthians of how their bodies will be raised. At this stage, we'll have a look at some of the terms used in verses 42 to 44 and uh, look at the meanings behind the Greek words to see how they apply to a resurrection body. I won't try and pronounce or give the Greek words, um, and Stella's not here this morning, so I can't use her. <laughs> Hasn't she been wonderful to be able to explain the Greek words? But I, I'm not going to try and do that. So these are the explanations of what the Greek word was. So perishable is being subject or to decay or corruption. And another connotation this could be subject to moral decay or ultimate misery in hell. This is a perfect word to describe the condition of fallen people living in a fallen world. And when applied to our earthly bodies, 
points to the ultimate fate of every living creature. Just like the seed at death, our bodies are sown for decay. Imperishable. The Greek word means incorruptibility, purity or genuineness. It is sometimes we use to mean unending or perpetuity, existence or perpetuity. This word seems perfect for describing the type of body one would require to live an eternal existence without sin or blemish of any kind. So dishonour, and the Greek word for that is, this is dishonour, disgrace, indignity, shameful, vile or lowly. Again, a perfect term for describing the ultimate condition of the earthly body at the time of the sun in the grave. Greek word for glory, and this can mean splendour, brightness, excellence, honour or blessedness. The Greek word for weakness, this means frail, feeble, liable to sickness and infirmity, sometimes conveys the idea of lack of ability to restrain corrupt desires and an inability to do things that glorify God. It shows the frailty of the human body which is subject to death and this power. The Greeks here say this means an inherent strength or ability that reside in something by virtue of its nature. It is something used in the context of power for doing works that bring glory to God. Natural. This means something that is governed by the soul. And the soul is one that the Greeks actually believed was the one that was taken, not the body that was to be resurrected. Spiritual. This means governed by the spirit. This verse does not say that in the resurrection everyone will become a disembodied spirit, which is a Greek tradition, but specifically states each will be given a spirit-governed body. So when Paul uses this term as a natural body and a spiritual body, he uses a Greek, which is a first-class unconditional clause, which is assumed to be true, to prove that since our bodies now are adapted to the life of the soul, our bodies now are adapted to the life of the soul, which is our own selfish desires and that sort of thing, then our future bodies will be adapted to the life of the spirit when we have a, a spiritual body. For the next four verses, the comparison goes on to the natural and the spiritual to follow on from the argument Paul has developed in the previous descriptions in the terms we've just studied. Worth reminding us here that when Jesus was on earth, he was fully human as well as fully God, a subject to the rigours of the same body that is described in Adam's body. And it's not until his resurrection he was changed into a spiritual body. So verse 45 starts off with Paul quoting from Genesis uh, 2.7, the first man became a living being. This living being was carved from the dust of the earth, so became the natural, even though it was made of imperishable earth in the beginning. It became perishable through sin and death and destruction and natural order. Here we see that our bodies are adapted to the level of the soul through sin and death and destruction that came into the world. Even though the first man was made from what was then the imperishable before sin came, and sin changed everything there. That's another clue to say that the effect of sin on the whole of creation and that the earth that was uh, pure is being tainted and what we have is a result of this today. And it's not hard to see this at the moment, is it? So the order of things is spelled out. Natural came first and then the spiritual. As natural, we share the same outcomes as Adam. Again, we see the gospel being alluded to. Jesus was fully man, died a natural death. 
He was buried as a natural man, but as promised, as it says, he did not see decay. His body was not in the grave long enough. He was raised in the spiritual body to return to heaven. So until we put our trust in Jesus and believe the gospel, we cannot become spiritual. It is only through this transformation that we are fit for heaven. Paul was using another example to push the point across to the Christians at gospel that they accepted that Jesus rose from the dead and um, from the dead applies as well to them here. The truth is imparted here in verse 49. And just as we are born the likeness of earthly man, so we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Paul almost finished his point here. He drives it home in verse 50. I declare you to you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We'll see later that the kingdom is heaven, it's inherited, it's the new heavens and new earth, which will become the forever kingdom where God's people will be in God's place under God's rule. That's what the kingdom is. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. If we look back over the scriptures from the Old Testament right through, we see that where God has had his people in his place under his rule, and we at the moment are in his place under his rule, and we are God's people here, and one day that we will be in his place forever and ever in our final reward. So we'll reread verses 51 and 52. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This is the final trumpet sound, and all who are alive will be taken at the rapture, and here we'll see that even those who have not died will be taken and given an imperishable body. The criteria is that to have the body does not depend on dying, but in faith in Jesus, who is a spiritual man. So as it says in Thessalonians, I think it does, that the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are left will be taken up to be in the air. And the bodies that we get, if we're still around when Jesus comes back again at the rapture, they'll be the same as the other, not the body that we're going in. So it's not the criteria of whether you're alive or whether you're dead at the rapture and the resurrection. It's how you stand before Jesus. So being alive in God's family will give us a life for those who died. The next two verses, Paul finishes his point on the perishable taking on the imperishable. At the end of the verses 54 and 55, Paul quotes Isaiah 25, 8 and Hosea 13, 4, 14. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your sting? Just going to read back in verses 24 to 26. And we talked about this, that death was the last thing to be put under the feet in the last time we spoke. So verse 24 says, Then the end will come when the hand, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we saw last time that Jesus had conquered death in his resurrection and had that he's done. But it wasn't until the time of his return that this will be accomplished because between now and then we still die, don't we? That that will be accomplished when he comes again. So this is the time when it happens. Verse 54 and 55 talk about this finally happening. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. 
Jesus, by his death on the cross, broke the power of sin, and doing this, he fulfilled the law which was given to man to show him his sins. But Jesus quashed that once and for all, and now will come to fruition when we have the victory through Jesus. So anyone, anyone who is a follower of Jesus will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul wraps up the passage by giving an exhortation to the Corinthians to stand firm, let nothing move you. They were to hang on to the gospel that was preached to them as they accepted not to be swayed by the teaching on the contrary. Paul pointed out earlier in the passage the consequence of not following the gospel that was not being able to share in the kingdom. So that's not the end. So where's it leading to? <clears throat> so you need to look over the book of Revelation. We'll look at a passage in verse 21 and uh, then 20. So we need to go back to Revelation. Reminder that Corinthians, like us, are living a time of now but not yet. Now we're living in the world, but we haven't reached that point yet of Jesus coming or our point of death, our point of being able to be resurrected. So they too, like us, are living in the the last days by virtue of Jesus' death and resurrection and coming with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We are in a time between creation when everything was perfect and recreation when the new heavens will be created and the sinful world will pass away. So if we have a look at, uh, at Revelation 21 and just the first five verses, and this is where it all ends up, and it's wonderful. It's great to hear um, David, what's his name, at Carol sing this in New Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, yeah, David Hobson. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and they be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is all about the new Jerusalem. That is our reward if we know Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, that's a different story. If we know Jesus, that is our reward. The holy city will be no more crying, no more death, no more pain, because the old order has passed away. The spiritual body is perfected by God will live forever. The recreation is complete. Once more, uh, man communicates and fellowships with God face to face as he did in the Garden of Eden. The kingdom of God will be complete. They and us will be God's people in God's place under God's rule forever. We don't have to look very far to see the other side of the ledger, do we? If we go back just to the end of verse 20 there and the last four or five verses. It says here, the dead are judged. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence and there was no place for them. 
I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened. It was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in these books. The sea gave up its dead and all were in it, and death and Hades gave up their dead and were in them, and each person was judged according to what he'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Yes, we have a glorious future ahead of us. But that's very sombre reading, isn't it? All those who have not accepted Christ, that is their fate. We can probably stand here today and fairly sure that some members of our families, neighbours and close friends are in that position. As that compassionate people, I know it's a hard word to put, how to put it, what word to use here, compassionate people will see their need and their pity state. So even though it's been a glorious thing we've been able to look at today, we'll take the statement away with us. As if individuals in the church, it is a wake-up call. And at the start of a new year, how are we going to reach our community and give them opportunities to come into a relationship with Jesus? We'll pray. Thank you, Father, for the great hope that we have in you. We thank you, Father, that you, you love everyone. And, Father, that you sent Jesus to die for everybody, not just for us that are standing here this morning, for those who are in your family. You died for everybody. And, Father, our hearts go out and our thoughts go out to those that do not know you. And, Father, we just give us the love for them, give us the compassion for them, the love that you had in that you sent your son to die for them. Guide us as we go this week and give us opportunities to be able to show Christ to those around. Amen.